When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Booster battle. The UK Prime Minister aims to provide all adults in England with a third shot by month's end. Since time suspended, the Chinese AI firm postpones its IPO after its US investor ban. And Peloton's PR peddling the exercise giant responds to a sex-in-the-city tide stock price plunge. It's Monday. Let's make a move. A warm welcome to First Move this Monday and always. And as the world takes stock of the latest spread of COVID and the Omicron variant, it's also important time to recognize how far we've come fighting this virus. Later this hour, we'll speak to the head of UPS Health as it prepares to deliver its one billionth vaccine dose. This time last year, if you remember, we talked about delivering the first with them. Also today, flying the flag, or in this case, a kite for climate change. Swedish marine energy company Monesto will join to discuss the future of hydroelectric power. Yes, using underwater kites. Don't worry, we'll explain. Stocks in the meantime, certainly flying high on Wall Street pre-market. The S&P 500 is set to rise to fresh records. Europe is mostly in the green, as you can see. And all eyes this week on global central banks, the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank and the Bank of England and the Bank of Japan, all updating us on that delicate balance between the threat of COVID versus reigning in stimulus to fight the inflation battle. Turkey's inflation response, or lack of it, remains an escalating crisis there. The Turkish central bank is choosing to cut interest rates rather than hike to control rising prices. In the meantime, the Turkish lira tumbling to fresh all-time lows as S&P, the rating agency, warns of a debt rating downgrade. And another interest rate cut, cut could come this week, too. And the anticipation of further Chinese central bank support and ongoing property sector weakness is helping keep stocks in the green in Asia. We'll head to China shortly to hear the latest measures ahead of the New Year holidays. But first, we head to the UK for the latest measures there. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has confirmed the UK's first death from the Omicron variant. The government warning Omicron is now sweeping through the country like a, quote, tidal wave and makes up 40 percent of cases in London All adults in England will now be able to get a booster shot by the end of the year in a bid to fight the surge. Sama Abdelaziz joins us now. Sama, great to have you with us. Let's talk about what the health secretary described as 40 percent now of London infections being the Omicron variant. What measures are they taking in addition to Plan B? 
Um, the House Secretary then went on to say that the rise of Omicron is phenomenal. Uh, we're seeing a doubling of Omicron cases every two to three days in the country, and it's set to become the dominant strain. I know you said 40% of cases. It's going to be the dominant strain by tomorrow, according to the Prime Minister. Starting today, more restrictions rolling out. If you can work from home, you should work from home. Masks have been made mandatory on public transport and inside more in inside public venues, and you're going to see even more restrictions come through in the coming days. Prime Minister Boris Johnson wants everyone focused on getting boosted, boosted, boosted. He was out there today with that message again. Take a listen. We can see Omicron spiking now in, in London and some other parts of the country. It, it, here in the capital, it probably represents about 40% of the cases. By tomorrow, it will be the majority of the cases, and it's increasing the whole time. And uh, sadly, yes, uh, Omicron is producing hospitalizations and uh, sadly at least one patient has now uh, been confirmed to have died uh, with Omicron. Now, in terms of more restrictions, the Prime Minister is going to be heading to Parliament tomorrow to try to push through a few more measures, including using COVID passes, so proof that you're vaccinated or proof of a negative test at large venues and nightclubs. And there's going to be some rebellion against this from his own party. Backbenchers in the Conservative Party expected to vote against these measures. But it should still come through. That's because the Labour Party will be voting for it. But really, the prime minister's key focus here has always been vaccination. So you have hundreds of vaccinators across the country being trained now. Some of them volunteer, some of them paid. You have military troops as well involved in this booster campaign. And as you pointed out, the prime minister now bringing forward that very ambitious target, that very ambitious deadline to see that he wants to have everyone over the age of 18 get their invitation to get that booster jab by the end of this month. I can't emphasize to you just how huge of a feat it is. By most estimates, it would require about a million vaccinations per day. That's higher than the number of vaccinations that were being given at the beginning of the year when the vaccines were first rolled out. So really a huge and heroic effort. And I'd be remiss not to mention in the middle of a scandal at a time when the prime minister himself is being accused of violating COVID rules. He's now taking to the podium, standing in front of the country, asking others to follow restrictions, to be vigilant and to get boosted. Julia. I mean, Salma, there is so much in there. Um, As you quite rightly point out, it's putting huge pressure on NHS staff. Um, Do they have the logistics in place? Are they cancelling other appointments perhaps in order to facilitate this accelerated program for getting their people their booster shots and I think to your point as well an important question are people actually listening in light of some of the distractions that are going on for the government Uh, you can answer that and then I guess because a lot of people watching this will have instantly perked up I think when they heard the Prime Minister talk about someone dying for for Momacrom did they elaborate any further on give us any more details on, on precisely what happened there Salma because even if we don't have it I'm sure people at home will be wanting me to ask you Very good questions, Julia. We've only just heard that news Mm. of that one unfortunate, tragic death to to Omegron. So we simply don't know the details of that victim yet. We expect that his family is being informed that this is a private time for them. So when we have those details, we will share them. But crucially, you did ask about the NHS's capabilities at this time. Well, there's a few different things to parse through here. If you're asking about the number of booster shots, the actual vaccinations, well, the country has enough. But do they have enough staffing? Listen, the short answer is maybe. 
What that would require is GPs to cancel appointments, put aside anything that is not emergency, that is not immediate, and start putting those shots into arms as quickly as they can. It also comes up to public compliance, people taking up that invitation and heading to their clinic as soon as they can to get that vaccination. Remember, the prime minister's goal is to get invitations to everyone by the end of the month. That does not necessarily mean that everyone gets that shot by the end of the month. And then crucially, of course, you're asking that question. The prime minister embroiled in a scandal now about multiple parties taking place during lockdown last year by his senior staff at 10 Downing Street. Does he still have the moral authority, the ethical authority to stand in front of the country and call for new restrictions? I'm going to take the words here of the opposition leader, Keir Stammer, who's on the airwaves over the weekend, where he said the prime minister is a public health. uh, He is a danger to public health and safety because of his administration's accusations, this controversy that they're mired in, Keir Starmer calling the prime minister unfit for office. So you very much now have a prime minister who is moral standing is being questioned. His ability to lead and maneuver his own party is being questioned. At the same time, health authorities very concerned about the spread of this new variant during the holiday season. Julia? Yeah, you'd expect nothing less, I think, from the opposition leader at this uh, moment in time. And he certainly has the authority as the prime minister to make this this, uh, uh, suggestion and this claim of people to do more and get booster shots. The question is, do people listen? Sama, great to have you with us. Sama Abdelaziz there. Thank you. To China now, also on high alert, state media says the country has detected its first case of the Omicron variant and local governments are urging people not to travel during the Lunar New Year as they grapple with fresh COVID outbreaks. Chrissy Lustout, Father's Report. COVID-19 cases continue to rise in China, especially in the factory and shipping hub of Zhejiang province. On Sunday, China reported 80 new local cases of the virus, including 74 in Zhejiang. And this is significant. China's epicenter of infection has moved away from China's northern Inner Mongolia region to the eastern coastal province of Zhejiang, a major manufacturing hub. It's home to tech giant Alibaba, as well as a major shipping port, Ningbo Zhoushan. It's the world's third busiest container port. In fact, back in August, a single confirmed case shut down the port for weeks, causing shipping congestion and wreaking havoc on the global supply chain. And now, more than a dozen Chinese listed companies have said that they had suspended production in parts of Zhejiang in response to local COVID-19 restrictions. As COVID-19 cases rise, some local authorities are, like last year, urging residents not to travel during the Lunar New Year. The holiday starts January 31st, and this is when hundreds of millions of people, including migrant workers, travel home for family reunions, creating, in effect, the world's largest annual human migration. Already, three places are urging workers to stay put, including a district in Zhangjiakou in Hebei province. That's one of the host cities for the Winter Olympics. Christy Liu Stout, CNN, Hong Kong. And sensing trouble, sense time, the Chinese AI startup suspending their IPO. Selena Wang explains. Chinese tech company SenseTime is postponing its big stock market debut after once again getting caught between U.S.-China tensions. On Friday, the U.S. put SenseTime on an investment blacklist that bans Americans from investing in it. The U.S. Treasury said that SenseTime was sanctioned because of the role that its technology plays in enabling human rights abuses against Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities in Xinjiang. The U.S. said that SenseTime had developed facial recognition programs that can determine a target's ethnicity 
ethnicity with a particular focus on identifying ethnic Uyghurs. Since time has strongly denied those accusations, calling them unfounded. The company said, quote, we regret to have been caught in the middle of a geopolitical dispute. The United States and its allies have been stepping up the pressure on China against Beijing's alleged abuse of Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities. Since time was supposed to start trading as early as this week, it was set to raise as much as $767 million. But the company said in a filing on Monday that it would postpone the listing in order to safeguard the interests of potential investors. It said that investors in Hong Kong that had already applied to be part of the IPO would get refunds. Now, SenseTime is one of the world's most valuable artificial intelligence companies, and it's run into trouble with Washington before. The company's Beijing subsidiary is already on a U.S. entity list, which bans it from buying U.S. products or importing American technology without a special license. Now, SenseTime says that it is still committed to completing the IPO soon and that it will release an updated prospectus for investors. Selena Wang, CNN, Tokyo. Peloton pedaling furiously to contain a truly big PR challenge. The company's stationary bikes playing a pivotal and unexpected role in the latest Sex and the City series reboot. But breaking news, Peloton could ultimately win the PR cycle yet. A quick warning here. Turn down the sound now if you don't want to hear a uh-huh, big spoiler alert. Shall we take another ride? Life's too short not to. <laughs> and just like that, the world is Paula Monica joins us now, Paul. I, I really have to emphasize before you and I start talking that if people don't want to have the Sex and the City reboot spoiled, they literally have to turn the sound down. And you and I have to have Cheshire Cat grins the whole time that we're discussing this to not give the game away. Um, Killing Mr. Big. Yeah, there we go. I said it cannot be good for this brand. When I saw it, I thought that. And of course, the stock plummeted last week. Um, and in the space of 48 hours, Peloton have taken huge efforts to try and tackle this, including that little clip there. Yeah. And, and just like that, we have a humorous ad making light of Mr. Big's, uh, you know, untimely demise on the and Sex in the City, uh, you know, oh, the, just like that. I can barely but take here's it. The thing. I know, I know. I, I think, Julia, that this is a good marketing move by Peloton to try and counter what could be perceived as bad news. You don't want to have your product featured in the death of this beloved character. But let's be honest. One, it's fiction. Two, Mr. Big, as Peloton points out in their own uh, press release and you know marketing, he didn't exactly live the healthiest of lifestyles. Maybe being on Peloton as little as he was helped save him from an even earlier death because of all the cigars and steaks and wine that he drank, and scotch, etc. But let's be really honest here. When Peloton stock went down on Friday, it's not because Mr. Big is dead. It's because Credit Suisse downgraded the shares and slashed its price target more than in half to about $50 a share. Peloton is a company that is really just struggling, not just because there's this perception that what they sell is way too expensive and that there are many other companies out there with cheaper exercise equipment, but also People are going back to the gym. You know, Omicron obviously is something that I think may change the calculus a little bit, but people are venturing back out. And there's the joke about, you know, Pelotons are just expensive coat racks. 
Oh, I mean, they were flying high, weren't they, during the pandemic as people couldn't go to the gym. To your point, lots of people desperately buying exercise equipment in their homes and Peloton certainly benefited that. But to your point, there's an expense question here. They've also had some very PR, some very awkward uh, and painful um, PR battles in, in the past year or so with people getting injured. A child actually lost their life as a result of, um, of being caught up in their equipment too. So it's been bad. Do you think this was a PR spin? I mean, Peloton came out and said, look, they approved the use of one of their actual instructors, but they didn't know what the storyline was. And just if people aren't clear, he, uh, Mr. Big did a 45-minute workout and then had a heart attack um, on the Peloton. And to Paul's point, he's only a character. He's not real. No one died in the making of this production. Um, but into the breach, Ryan Reynolds, who did the voiceover of this commercial too, and he has previous with Peloton as well. If people remember um, the Peloton wife, she got a, a Peloton for a gift. And then it was a whole thing of her saying how it's changed her life. And people said it was completely sexist and completely inappropriate. And, and Ryan Reynolds stepped on that as well and hired the woman involved. Do we think this was all set up or do we think this was accidental and they just made a commercial in the space of 48 hours using Mr. Big? Yeah, I, I don't think that Peloton had in the back of their mind this Machiavellian devious idea. Let's approve him getting killed with our equipment or on our equipment in this Sex in the City reboot, and then we'll make an ad making fun of it because it'll ultimately be good PR for us. I think that Peloton tried to do some damage control, and they were lucky to have Ryan Reynolds, who, as you pointed out, Julia, did that very amusing ad for his own aviation gin company featuring the Peloton wife after that much mocked ad that they had where she is all excited about working out and she's nervous and trying to impress her husband. And it was really, I think, a tone deaf ad that Peloton realizes in hindsight was a mistake. So I think this is more damage control than trying to uh, say that this is a good thing. I think they're just trying to reclaim the narrative as it were. Yes, the winners here, Sex and the City, Chris North, of course, the Mr. Big actor, um, and Ryan Reynolds. And yes. anyone shorting Peloton stock lately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But look at us. We talked about it. So the PR worked on this case. Plenty of time dedicated to this story. Paula Monica, thank you for that. OK, let me bring you up to speed now with some stories making headlines around the world. A historic handshake. This is the first ever official visit by an Israeli leader to the United Arab Emirates. Israeli Prime Minister... Neftali Bennett met with the Abu Dhabi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed on Monday. The two countries only normalized relations 15 months ago. It's a key sign of Israel being welcomed more and more into the Arab world. And Haddas Gold is following the story for us from Jerusalem. Haddas, this is a huge moment, a symbolic, historic moment, not just politics, I think, to be discussed between these two men, but also commercial and economic opportunities too. Yeah, Julia, just a few years ago, an Israeli wasn't allowed to enter the UAE. And now, today, uh, an Israeli prime minister was not only welcomed to the country with an official honor guard when he landed on Sunday night in Abu Dhabi, but this morning, he went to the crown prince's private palace for a long meeting, handshakes, smiles. They even had lunch together. We just heard from the prime minister's office that what was supposed to be a much shorter meeting ended up being more than four hours long, actually making uh, the prime minister late for his scheduled takeoff. 
to come back to Israel. Of course, politicians always like to show that those longer meetings mean how great the relationship was, how positive it was. And as you noted, it comes just 15 months after those normalization agreements were signed. And I should also note, it comes on the six-month anniversary of Naftali Bennett becoming prime minister, still a relatively new prime minister, took over from Benjamin Netanyahu, who was the signatory on those Abraham Accords, was supposed to go to Abu Dhabi for this inaugural visit, but several of his planned trips were canceled for various reasons. Uh, But in the past year, just over a year since those accords were signed, there's been a flurry of diplomatic, cultural, tourism, and of course, business relations between the two countries. I want to cite a figure for you. In the first seven months of 2021, bilateral trade was worth more than $600 million, according to Israeli officials. That's $550 million more than in the equivalent uh, period in 2020. And last week, the Financial Times quoting that there's been a flurry of corporate deals between the two countries in recent weeks. It goes to show you how much of a business opportunity there is between the two countries. And that's exactly what uh, the crown prince is being quoted by Emirati state media as saying that they discussed especially means to further development, investment and trade, development especially in agricultural, food security, renewable energy, and advanced technology and health. And while we have not heard the word Iran from either the crown prince or the prime minister since the prime minister arrived, without a doubt, they likely discussed Iran, as that's a shared a concern for both countries. They're coming at it from different points of view. Israel views Iran and Iran trying to uh, Iran's nuclear program as, as an existential threat, and they have been increasing their rhetoric on being ready to strike Iran militarily if diplomatic talks fail. The Emiratis on the other side have taken a more measured diplomatic approach, and actually, uh, just in the past Last week or so, an Emirati official went to Tehran and met with the Iranian president. The first time an Emirati official has done so in several years. It goes to show you how they're trying to sort of reapproach the Iranians once again. So Bennett and the Crown Prince likely discussing Iran. Uh, Israeli media is reporting that Bennett likely showed the Crown Prince some Israeli intelligence on Iranian activity, probably as an attempt to try to pull the Emiratis away from Iran. Julia. Mm. This relationship, not without its challenges, but a historic moment and progress nonetheless. Hadas Gold, thank you. So to come on First Move, distributing hope. UPS delivers its billionth vaccine dose. We speak to the company's head of global health and sky-high ambitions for underwater kites. Yes, the green tech startup on a new way to capture the ocean's power and turn it into energy. Stay with us. That's coming up. Welcome back to First Move. More than 100 people are feared dead after a series of tornadoes ripped through central and southern United States. National weather experts say at least 50 tornadoes were reported across eight individual states. The worst hit is Kentucky, whose governor described the devastation as, quote, unlike anything he has ever seen. The head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, says extreme weather like this is, quote, the new normal because of climate change. Brian Todd is in Mayfield, Kentucky, near a candle factory. According to its spokesperson, eight people who worked there died and another eight are unaccounted for. Brian, good to have you with us. Scenes of devastation behind you. What more can you tell us and what hopes for those that do remain missing? 
Well, Julia, the rescue operation is ongoing at that candle factory that you mentioned. Those numbers that you mentioned still current. Eight people confirmed dead, eight people still unaccounted for. Officials did say that more than 90 people who were inside the building at the time did make it out alive. This is a complex not far from the candle factory. This is not the factory itself, but the shovel back there is digging through a building that was just completely devastated very near the factory. They just pulled out that trailer that was lodged in the building there. This is part of the problem that rescue teams have to deal with. They have to clear out huge amounts of very heavy debris and rubble just to try to get to anybody who they might be able to find in these buildings. Now, as for the factory itself, we are at a military police checkpoint not too far from the factory. The police will not let us get any further than this point, but we have been seeing resources pouring in here all morning. Rescue crews, uh, response teams, communications crews coming through this checkpoint. They are streaming in toward the factory, trying to find other people alive. Again, eight people confirmed dead, eight still unaccounted for, 90 people made it out alive. We may get some uh, updated numbers within the next hour from Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir, who's going to be giving a briefing. So hopefully we'll uh, know more after that 10 a.m. Eastern time uh, briefing from the governor. Also, what Governor Bashir did say about the rescue operation here at the candle factory, he said, you've got basically 15 feet of metal for these crews to go through, plus cars that are piled on top of that. Plus, there are corrosive materials, chemicals that are kind of you know, emanating all around the building. So those are some of the impediments that rescuers have to deal with, Julia, as they sift through what's left of that candle factory to try to find some survivors. Hopefully, we'll get some good news. But again, at least eight people confirmed dead from the collapse of that candle factory on Friday night. Yeah, monumental rescue effort underway there, Brian, as you, as you describe in our hearts and thoughts with all those involved. Thank you for that report there, Brian Todd in Mayfield, Kentucky. You're watching First Move. More to come. Welcome back to First Move in U.S. stock markets are open for business this Monday. Modest gains in the early price action, but enough to propel the S&P 500 into fresh record territory. Apple, beginning the week, just points away from achieving a major milestone of its own, a $3 trillion market cap. Yes, Apple poised to reach the new milestone when it hits just under $183 a share. So we've got a little way, just uh, around $181 as we speak. Apple stock up more than 35% so far this year. In the meantime, Elon Musk, the Apple of Times Eye, the magazine, has just named its person of the year. Times citing Musk's work as both CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, calling him, quote, perhaps the richest example of a massive shift in our society. Close quotes. Were they being cute there? Richest? Hmm, maybe. OK, let's move on. Since the pandemic began, an unfathomable number of parcels have been shipped around the globe. But few are as life changing as UPS's vaccine shipments. The company has now hit a key milestone, the delivery of its one billionth dose. Now, eight and a half billion vaccine doses have been administered around the world. So a significant chunk of those traveled with UPS specifically. This comes at a time when COVAX, a key partner, warns that it will fall short of vaccine delivery goals, in part due to logistical issues. So much to discuss. And I'm pleased to say joining us now, Kate Gottman. She's the head of UPS's global healthcare division. Kate, fantastic to have you on the show. You know, did you imagine this time a year ago, and it's almost exactly to the date that you would be able to deliver one billion doses in the space of a year. And we're talking in over, what, 100 different countries. 
That's right. And I think that's the key part. I mean, the, the span a billion and delivered at a 99.9% on-time performance. We're just so honored to be a part of this great effort to deliver hope uh, with these COVID-19 vaccines. And, and just within a year, that billion, to your point, uh, and uh, the complexity of logistics, we've got it down. The precision of UPS and our technology really helps us to give that assurity uh, that you need for sensitive deliveries like these. Talk about that technology, because I vividly remember this discussion from this time last year, the, the premier tracking technology that you have, where at any point in your network around the globe, within a 10-foot location, I think, from memory, you can precisely say where any shipment is. This is mind-boggling to me, but it's why you're able to be so precise about the one billionth dose delivery. That's right. And it is amazing. It is uh, embedded technology into the label. It helps us to get right within uh, arm's reach of the, the vaccine. And that's just to prepare for anything that could occur that's unexpected, weather conditions or just any interruption globally. We then have a command center that watches these vaccines moving through and we have contingencies to ensure we maintain our commitment to the customer. I mean, what was so challenging about this as well was the storage conditions that a number of these vaccines required. I mean, colder than Mars. Again, I remember this from a year ago where we were all mind boggled. I believe you've used more than three million pounds of dry ice um, along the way. Have you had much spoilage? Can you tell us? Because I know you have sensors inside the packages as well, just to make sure that the conditions don't alter to a point where, where the vaccines are or have deteriorated to a point upon which they can't be used. How much spoilage have you had? So we have not had spoilage, and that's that's really the uh, planning that gets done. And again, this 24-7 global operation that watches these vaccines that powered by that technology. So we ensure that we don't have temperature excursions. Uh, we do monitor from end to end. And uh, that also means within the distribution centers that we actually run, we fortify with the dry ice production. And as you said, three million pounds strong uh, just within a year. We built this all out and uh, it really helped to support uh, these temperature controlled and very sensitive shipments. Uh, so proud of the team and, and what we're delivering at, again, 99.9% on time. I mean, it is about UPS, but it's also about the partners that you've used along the way. I mean, when we're talking about um, rural and remote parts of, of Africa, of South America, of, of Asia too, a lot of the responsibility, particularly of the last mile or what we call the last mile, has come down to some really crucial partners along the way too. That's right. I mean, the, there's really a philanthropic effort to ensure that there's equity in vaccine distribution. And our UPS Foundation participates in that. We've already given over $22 million of support for the vaccines and over 30 million doses delivered, just supported by UPS. But you bring together all the alliances that we know with COVAX and Gavi uh, and reaching uh, far parts of uh, different countries within Africa, uh, certainly helping Indonesia when they had uh, the crisis back uh, mid-year. Uh, so we're glad to participate. And listen, we're all just at the, the beginning stages of this, ensuring that everyone throughout the globe has the same access for health uh, that each of us uh, gets to have. I mean, COVAX is warning that actually 
and particularly if we look at parts of Africa, and we've had this conversation on the show recently, um, in certain areas, they're simply not managing to deliver and vaccinate the people that they'd like to. And some part of that is logistics. You, From your experience, what are you seeing and where can these things be improved? Even if it's not a UPS challenge to, to fulfill, where can this be improved in your mind? Because you have a better sense probably than, than many others, most others. Well, it is. We're talking about countries that don't have uh, developed infrastructure many right. times. And so we've done some via drone delivery. Others uh, will go into alternate airports working with partner uh, companies that uh, tend to have uh, smaller feeder aircraft or hopper planes, if you will. Uh, that can reach some of these harder areas uh, to get to. And because you also have to ensure security because uh, these vaccines have value. So uh, there's always, uh, especially in remote countries uh, that don't have developed uh, police support and, and the like, you have to ensure that you modify some of the delivery addresses uh, to really maintain security. So we do that. We work uh, together, whether we're delivering or not, we're bringing our logistics expertise to uh, those alliances that are just so meaningful and important for the world. Yeah. And a couple of questions which um, pertain to the broader business. Um, adjustments, changes that you're making to protect your workers at UPS in light of a pickup in COVID cases all over the world and, of course, the, the spreading Omicron variant and, and how that relates to hiring people. I see on your website, um, even just in the United States, looking at hiring um, more globally 100,000 additional workers and they can sign up on the website and be hired in 30 minutes or less. What requirements? Are vaccines required to, to be a new hire at UPS, even if it's just a seasonal worker? What can you tell me about preparations? Well, we're, as I said, proud to deliver the vaccines and help the world on the path to uh, health. Uh, so when we are actually looking at ourselves in our hiring policies, we determined what jobs require vaccination because of the interaction uh, that is related to that. And then those that uh, mask is absolutely required. And we've done it by job category, so it, it differs, but uh, we feel like we've uh, provided and continue to provide the most updated information, and we strongly encourage our employees to get vaccinated, again, to just help the whole community on the path to health. Can you be specific? If you're in an office, do you have to be vaccinated? In many of our offices with their jobs, if they require interaction with customers or right. uh, office interaction with each other, the answer is yes. We do, uh, for instance, in my department, we, we have the vast majority, we interact with customers, so we do require vaccines, yes. Yeah, thank you for the context there. Kate, great to chat to you. Thank you to you and the team for all the work that thank you're doing you, and um, for getting those vaccines around the world. Head of global, UPS Global Healthcare there. Thank you again, Kate. Great to chat to you. Okay, coming up here on First Move, a big splash for ocean energy. How these underwater kites are generating clean electricity all from the power of the ocean. That's coming up next. Welcome back to First Move and take a look at this. Now, they look just like aircraft, but these are actually high-tech turbines generating electricity from the power of the ocean. These underwater kites were developed by Swedish marine energy company Minesto, and it says its deep green technology can offer clean and reliable electricity at much lower cost. And joining us now, I'm pleased to say the CEO of Minesto, Martin Edlund. Martin, I am so excited to have you on the show. Um, 
I saw that you were asked to summarize the operations of the company and you said, we fly a kite in the ocean. And it's, it's not that simple, but that's definitely catchy. Explain the vision and what you guys do. Yeah, we uh, a decade ago, we came up with this, this concept of, of flying kites underwater to harvest the kinetic energy of the oceans. And it's been quite, quite a fascinating journey over the years that culminated last this year in, in a, a grid-connected system in the Faroe Islands uh, for the first time. So it's been an historic year for us in that respect. Oh, we'll talk about the Faroe Islands because I want to see what, you're, um, what you've learned and, and the power that's being generated there. But just in terms of the practicalities, because I know a lot of people will be watching that video and just trying to understand exactly what they're seeing. It's um, a, a wind turbine effectively attached to a kite that's then chained to the ocean bed. And it sort of flows within the currents of the water and captures those. But it's actually cleverer than that because it, it's sort of the way that the movement uh, takes place. It's a figure of eight. So it actually um, creates a greater amount of energy even than just the current would provide. Yes. The principle we're using, it's it's not just to please the engineers to get something exciting to, to work on. It's it's really to, to use the principle to really, really capture the energy in the oceans. I mean, we have we have a lot of slow-moving, heavy water in the ocean. So it's a matter of covering a large uh, cross-section of the ocean with, with this system. So instead of a submerged windmill, we, we let this system loose in, in a large trajectory, in a large trajectory of an eight. And that means that we can, we can harvest the energy from that larger area uh, when the water passes through. Uh, and there's a turbine on board uh, that captures the energy into a generator. And uh, the, the whole principle is, is like, fly like, like sailing uh, a sailing boat because you can sail a lot faster than the wind is blowing and we are flying a lot faster than the, the tide or the ocean current is moving. So that's sort of the core of this principle. Yeah, there's an amplifier effect. That was the word I was searching for and I couldn't think of. It's yeah, a larger true. area and the speed is several times that of, of the current of the water. Talk to me about the Faroe Islands. What have you managed to achieve there and with how many kites? Yes, we've, uh, we've had two small commercial scale kites grid connected uh, there, which for, you know, for high tech startups in the energy sector, you, you hardly exist until you have proven that you actually can deliver your core value, that is electricity right. to your customers. <laughs> so in that sense, it's, it's been in a great achievement. Uh, and you can imagine it, it takes some, some engineering to, to get this principle effective, stable, uh, and to optimize how everything is working. So... So we've had a lot of, of hard work and testing over, over the last year uh, in this island in the middle of, of the Atlantic, uh, doing it together with, with a local utility uh, that's called SEV. And so it's actually been providing electricity to the Faroe Islands? Yes. So, so we, we, can, we can brag and say that we, we offered some of the Christmas lighting to a village called Vestmana uh, this, this, uh, this winter. So it's, it's still still small scale, but for us, of course, to be able to get all functionality and performance in place has been, been sort of the, the foundation to take the next step into building large underwater farms of those systems at significantly larger scale. OK, so there's some challenges that I want you to walk through with me. Um, there's technology involved in this because tidal currents and ocean currents are different. You have slack tides and you have technology, I believe, built in to allow you to move to an appropriate position so you can effectively chase 
the choppiest water to ensure that you're generating electricity. Is that correct? That's true. And it's a matter of having the system to turn when the tide goes down and, and shift direction. So, so there are a few things to think about then, that it should stop at the right moment, it should start uh, in the low flows, uh, and then behave in a stable way through, through the shifting speeds of the current. Uh, so it's, it's good, it originates from, from an aircraft manufacturer, so, so the whole control system idea was, was something worked on already from the start, so to speak. Can you give us a relative cost comparison? compared to hydroelectric yes, it, power, for example, or even uh, above, uh, above water wind farm, for example, that's also using turbine technology. What's the relative cost? Yes, I'd, I'd say t today, if we would install a 10 megawatt array in eight large well, machines here, we, we would talk about, about twice the cost of, of offshore wind uh, today. Uh, but if we would have compared where offshore cost. wind were, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, we are actually at a lower starting point. So uh, perhaps we're a bit, you know, uh, bold in saying it, but, but we believe that the low weight of the system and the higher density of the water puts us in a position that we quickly will climb uh, a learning curve and push costs down uh, lower uh, than offshore wind, which will make us a commercial alternative uh, quickly uh, to be uh, complementary to, to solar and wind for the 100% for the renewable energy systems that we all, all know by now that, that we need to strive for. Yeah, that's the key. So how? How do you drive the cost down? And Martin, there will be people going, hang on a second, what does this mean for marine life? What does this mean for boats uh, sailing past as well? Because I mean, look, it almost looks like a sunk plane. Some of those images are yeah. actually very striking from, from the water down. Um, that looks dangerous to me for, for ocean life. Yeah, I mean, that's, of course, something we've been working on from, from day one when we started ocean testing six years ago. So, so we've been working, I think, up to now five, six universities and authorities in the UK and, and, uh, and in the Faroes to, to really establish the facts around how sea mammals, fish, diving birds, how they behave relative to this system. Uh, and it's a question that you have to take really seriously, also from an investor perspective, learning from, from, from the history of, of build-out of wind, for instance. But we can say that, that there has been zero incidents and, and the researchers looking at the data uh, can just sort of conclude that the avoidance behavior of, of the mammals is, uh, is, is sort of far within the safe margins for this. Uh, so where we are now, I, I think we safely can say that, that we are in harmony with nature. And you have sensors on it very quickly, so you would know if there were any collisions Oh, yes, we would do that. Okay. We have underwater cameras, we have sonar systems, uh, and we've had for, for many of the locations uh, also mammal observers look, you know, standing watch to, um, to study the behavior of seals and, and, uh, and dolphins and so forth. So, Good. so it's an area yes. of, of great importance, but we are very confident that we are on the safe side here. I'm not going to get shouted at by any animal rights watch people who are maybe watching this show. I'm just trying to imagine what kind of mind comes up with this. Martin, come back and talk to us soon. Fascinating to watch your progress. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank Glad you. to be here. Bye. Martin Edland, the CEO of Nesto there. Thank you. Bye-bye. OK, coming up on First Move, Champions League chaos. While the last 16 draw had to be redone today. We'll explain next.
Welcome back to First Move and football fans need to focus. The Champions League round of 16 draw was redone this hour after a mistake by UEFA. It declared the initial set of ties void, citing a technical glitch. Darren Lewis joins me now. Darren, I blame the computers clearly, as do they. But the first round of this set up some incredibly mouthwatering ties. What happened and what does it take to bring us? Well, Julia, listen, the inquest is still ongoing as to how something so simple could go so very wrong. Villarreal, the champions of the Europa League, had uh, drawn Manchester United in the draw for uh, the latter stages of the Champions League. And yet uh, they had to go back into uh, the pot because they could not be drawn against each other. They'd already played each other in the group stages. And so what happened was because there had been so much chaos and they weren't in the pot for the potential opponents of Atletico Madrid, the draw had to be redone completely. And it meant we were robbed of a face-off between two of the world's greatest players, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. The draw was redone at 2pm UK time. And there have been some fascinating ties, one of which includes PSG, the French champions, up against Real Madrid, winners of their last 10 matches in a row, one of the most celebrated clubs in European club football. But the inquest will continue and the reflections will also be ongoing as to uh, why something could happen that would have robbed us of such a, a wonderful tie and the potential to really enjoy a feast of football. Oh, we were robbed of that Messi-Ronaldo tie-up. All I really care about is Liverpool. Go Liverpool. Anyway, Darren, thank you for that, Darren Lewis. All right, and finally, on first move, 10 amazing heroes were celebrated by CNN last night. Among them, a woman who brings beauty and hope to homeless men and women, and she got a special award. The 2021 CNN Hero of the Year is... Shirley Rains. Shelley Rains is this year's CNN Hero of the Year. Rains and her nonprofit Beauty to the Streets have been a mainstay on Los Angeles Skid Row for the past six years. She provides food, clothing, hair, and makeup services to thousands. First and foremost, I want to thank the amazing nine honorees I've been with. This journey has not been easy. I stand before you today a very broken woman. My life will never be the same since my son died. But it's important that you know that broken people are still very much useful. We are very much useful. Yeah, I was in the audience and I watched that and there was not a dry eye in the house. It's worth watching just to see what some of these incredible people did. Now, if you'd like to support Reigns or any of the nonprofit organizations of the top 10 CNN heroes, you can also make a donation. All donations made by January the 3rd will be matched by Subaru up to $50,000 per hero. That's it for the show. Stay safe. Connect the world with Becky Anderson is next, and I will see you tomorrow. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.